Welcome back to our next edition of uh, Podcasting in English. Today I'm here with Lynn again and we're going to be talking about cultural icons with uh, iconic figures we can say. With the people that we're going to be mentioning today, I suspect that a lot of these individuals would be known by uh, people living overseas. People all around the world. People all around the world. But I suppose for any Australian, if you mention any of these people's uh, names... They would instantly um, conjure up all sorts of images of them. Yeah. Um, I must admit, in the, um, the time when Steve Irwin and Peter Brock both died miraculously in the same week... Um, due to very tragic circumstances, it made me actually consider really how much Australians do almost cloud people in mythology. Mm. It made me wonder really, well, what is an So often we heard during that time of those two deaths the word iconic, an iconic figure. Mm. And I guess um, an icon for me is sort of far more than a hero. They may not even actually be heroic people in themselves, but they're just people that are larger than life, mm. absolutely larger than life for whatever reason. And so, therefore, they're almost um, worshipped. But it's interesting because a lot of these individuals, um, they come from sporting fields or mm. the areas mm. of entertainment. And I was having this conversation with, uh, with someone a couple of weeks back and we felt that if there was an individual who was quite accomplished in the, acad- in the area of academia or... Um, the scientific field, if, uh, if they passed away, there wouldn't be any state funeral for them. And when we say a state funeral, uh, I imagine with a state funeral it's totally funded by, by the public, but with Peter Brock, for example, he was given a state funeral, and I just sort of wondered you know, if it was someone other than a sporting person, would that same uh, privilege or service be offered to them? I know it's certainly very true that... Um, most of Australia's iconic figures are from the sports or entertainment industry. There's no doubt about it. But I think that is just a reflection of Australian society itself, that Australians do hero-worship people that are good at sport. Mm. It is so Mm. much part of the culture. So you look, for instance, I, I, I think the most... Um, iconic sports person in Australia is Donald Bradman. I don't think anyone would deny that. Mm, for sure. And uh, he, he differed in some ways in the fact that he, there was no sort of larrikin element about Donald Bradman. He was the true gentleman, like typical cricketing gentleman, and it is mm. a gentleman's sport. But I think that Australians, obviously he was extremely good at cricket, but I think Australians really admired him because of that, as you were mentioning before, that humble beginnings. Like, he taught himself how to bat with a, a, stump, a stump and a golf ball. And a golf ball against mm. the water tank in his, mm. you know, house in the outback. And so these sort of humble beginnings, and he, he, he ended up being the most famous cricketer in the world. Mm. I think cricket, um, I think we need to point out with cricket, it's a fairly obscure sport, um, not, in, uh, not in Australia... Or, uh, or in England, but uh, the actual sport of cricket is something which is only played in very few countries. I think uh, mm. 
maybe uh, just the countries that England has colonised, like yes. India and, and Pakistan, because typically during the summer you'll have uh, the Indian and Pakistanis and also uh, the cricketers from the West Indies uh, come to Australia and participate mm. in, mm. Uh, in mm. a test series. Mm. That's true. So mm. it's, not, it's not a worldwide sport. But then you've got... Uh, nor is Australian rules football um, mm. uh, a widely recognised sport. Nevertheless, you've got the iconic figures of Ron Barassi and Ted Whitten. Mm. Um, but I suppose tennis is a fairly widely played sport and look at um, the people we most admire in Australia in tennis and that would certainly be Yvonne Corley. She was... Her maiden name was Goulagong. Goulagong. Yvonne Goulagong. So part mm. of her, perhaps part of the charisma wasn't just that she was good at what she did, and by the way, she is still alive, um, but that she was an Indigenous person and, again, mm. um, worked her way to that success from the most, the humblest of beginnings. And I, I think that's part of this, um, the icon thing in Australian culture is that we actually, we admire people who, the, the common person that can become successful from sheer hard work motivation and motivation mm. we do admire that and I think we also admire people that um, retain to a certain extent this sort of um, rebellious nature against authority mm. so for instance I think the perfect case in point would be Dawn Fraser, Dawn Fraser certainly mm. when mm. Uh, she was very impressive as a swimmer particularly in the 100 metre freestyle event uh, in the Olympics in three uh, three succeeding Olympic mm. uh, Games, she won gold medal mm. in uh, the 100 metres. And uh, I think it was at the Tokyo Olympics back in 52, if I can remember the date correctly. 62? 64. 64? Really? Mm. Okay. Mm. Where she stole the uh, Olympic flag. But I suppose it was that larrikin element um, about her that indeed, indeed her to, to the public. And I think she's uh. still very much got that element. I also think... Um, the entertainment industry um, raises a lot of um, icons for us all. I mean, Steve Irwin is a perfect example of that. And you can say, even though he was an environmentalist and a conservationist, etc., etc., he was above all an entertainer. Mm. Um, he was just—he was definitely a larger-than-life character. And people either really adored him or couldn't stand him. But you had to, everyone, like the day he died, everyone stopped in their tracks because it was almost like, you Unbelievable know, yeah, that something like that could yeah, happen at such an early age or young age. Not mm. just a young age, but mm. a man that appeared so totally invincible wasn't mm. invincible. Um, but then other, I suppose, great icons of the entertainment industry would certainly be Paul Hogan. Mm. And there was a, there's a bit of a crocodile link there anyway. <laughs> there is, for sure, because back in the early 80s, he uh, made this film, which was incredibly popular mm. worldwide, mm. called uh, Crocodile Dundee. And uh, it was actually a very funny, mm. uh, entertaining film, which uh, you know, was very popular in Australia and around the world. And uh, I think... Uh, he produced a number of commercials for uh, for the American public in order to attract um, tourists to Australia. And I know at the time that it was a very effective campaign. He went on to make a few more films, but um, not as popular as the original Crocodile Dundee, but certainly it would be difficult to uh, create a film which would surpass 
uh, its success? Mm, um, I think um, it, I think it's probably the most successful Australian film ever made, ever. isn't it? In terms uh, of box office, taking box office success, yes. Yeah. But um, and again, he came from very small beginnings, mm. didn't he? He was actually uh, one of the painters or, um, or builders of uh, the Sydney Harbour Bridge, mm. so uh, one of his claims claims to fame. That's right. Uh, how about Kylie Minogue and uh, Nicole Kidman? Kylie, of course, being very famous in in the realm of music. Absolutely, and uh, I think she's um, she's very much everybody's darling, isn't she, Kylie? Mm. And people all around the world, but especially the British, love mm. Kylie Minogue. Absolutely love her. Um, and Nicole Kidman, uh, famous and worldwide once again for her mixed bag. The films, mm. I think uh, some of some of the films have been quite good, but others have been quite I lousy. Think, I <laughs> think that she's an excellent actress. I mm. really do, and I think Kylie Minogue is an excellent performer. So um, I think that they, in many ways, deserve that that status. Mm. Um, and uh, of course, there's Rolf. Rolf Harris. Rolf Harris with yeah. his um, wobbly board. <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain the wobbly board? Well, he used to sing. Um, his most famous song was "Timey Kangaroo Down Sport," <laughs> with a giant sheet of cardboard mm. that he would sort of shake with his two hands, so it sounded like it sounded wobbling. Yeah, it was. A he, it board. was his. Um, uh, it was his. It was his musical instrument. Instrument of choice. Yes, yeah. but he's also a very, very. Um, esteemed painter, mm. he's just recently painted a portrait of the Queen. Of the Queen, yeah. So I know critically that uh, it wasn't very well received. but um, By her or...? <laughs> <laughs> by the critics, by the art critics, but apparently she uh, looked quite favourably upon it. Mm, no, mm. so... Um, and um, then, I mean, people might uh, be forgiven for believing that Australia doesn't produce any artistic or literary... Jenny, yeses, Jenny, I. Um, but um, I'd say Peter Carey would be very well known around the world as, I, I think, Australia's greatest writer. Because mm, he wrote uh, Oscar and Lucinda, Oscar. which uh, was made into a film also. Yes. With Ralph Fiennes and Kate Blanchett. That's right. And there's also The True Story of the Kelly Gang. Yes, which won the book. I think he's, he's won two Booker Prizes. Mm. Um, which is pretty good mm. uh, to win too. I think the true history of the Kelly and I think he, he did get the book for Oscar and Lucinda. Also, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Um, Illy Wacker was one of his most famous um, books. Certainly, um, it's got a very distinctive way of writing. Mm. And I think another writer, um, iconic figure in Australian culture is David Williamson. Mm. Now he's a he's a playwright rather than a novelist. But all of his plays really do capture um, sort of quintessential elements of Australian culture. Like, I'd say his most famous play would be The Club. Mm. Have you ever seen it? It was made back or written back in the 70s. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, quite old. But it all focused totally on sort of the... um, um, the manipulation that what goes on in a football club and the power mm. play and uh, it um, so it, even though it's about an Aussie rules football club it's also um, says a lot about human nature and how people will try to manipulate each other to get gain power over each other so um, excellent excellent writer I remember um, 
also thinking of writers. Um, I was in a taxi once many years ago in France, in Paris, and when I told the taxi driver I was Australian, the only thing he could tell me he knew about Australia was Colleen McCulloch. Yeah. <laughs> um, was, he, he'd read a book by Colleen McCulloch, which had been translated. It was The Thornbirds, mm. being translated into French. So I thought that was pretty amusing. I like the French title of The, the Thornbirds. It's um, Les oiseaux qui se cachent pour mourir. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit long-winded, it is, isn't, isn't it? it? Birds who hide themselves in order to die. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound as good as The Thornbirds, does it? No, 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 it does not. But that was a, a terrific story, wasn't it? Mm. I didn't read the book, but I saw the miniseries, and yeah. the miniseries... Um, I suppose was uh, high quality for its time. Mm. I think it was made in the early 80s, something like that, but with Brian Brown and Rachel Ward, That's two, right. uh, mm. two Australians. Um, but uh, certainly a very well-known publication, and Colin McCulloch has produced a number of other books, a lot of them associated with um, the Roman Empire. Mm. And uh, I think one of her specialties is, uh, is European history. Mm. Um, I suppose in terms of think in terms of historical or the political domain of Australian culture, who would you think would be the most famous historical icon? Without a doubt, Ned Kelly. Mm, mm, Ned that's Kelly. what I thought. Because mm. mm. once again, it goes back to what we were saying before, uh, the larrikin element of uh, this particular individual and his... Um, his resistance to authority mm, is something mm, which mm. is uh, very much respected uh, by the common folk. I don't know whether it's respected, mm. but it's admired, admired. isn't mm. it? And I, I would say that's very much due to our convict heritage. Mm. That, um, you know, the first, the majority of the first white people to settle in Australia were convicts and clearly had a total disdain for authority mm. and I think there's still something in the Australian psyche that actually cheers on someone that will defy whether it be a teacher, mm. a principal, a policeman, whatever, there's something that um, appeals to Australians, good or bad and certainly Ned Kelly, he would be um, probably the most idolised of historical figures in Australia and yet let's face it, he was a bank robber and a, a murderer. Yeah, at uh, the age of 16. Mm. Think, uh, didn't he have an argument with a police officer because uh, the police officer was, um, I don't know, uh, was uh, disturbing the family in some respect? And I think he shot him in the wrist. Or... Yes, I know. So I'm not sure. And I, th I think Ned Kelly um, is most famous for the fact that in order to try to escape the bullets of the police that were after him, um, he built an armour suit mm. um, to protect himself. Of course, it didn't cover his legs or his arms. And he ended up uh, getting shot 28 times. Yeah, he but still survived. He still survived. But, well, like, not um, for long. No, because in the old Melbourne jail, what's called the old Melbourne jail now, mm. he, uh, he was hung, wasn't he? He was hung, and yeah. uh, his death mask is still there. Okay. Yes, his death mask is still there. So. But he survived until the age of 25. He was in his mid-twenties. Mm. And um, what were his last words? Such yeah. is life. Such is life. Mm. 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 So he obviously had a fairly um, philosophical view of his 
of his fate. And certainly left a legacy. Mm. Do you know, yeah. I, must, I must say though, we've been talking a lot about people, um, past and present, um, in as, as Australian icons, but I think Farlap, the horse Farlap, is the greatest Australian icon. Mm, and, for sure. And it, um, <laughs> although, you know, Farlap, you know, was a horse, I think um, if the fact that recently I was reading that um, now his hide, his stuffed hide is in the Melbourne Museum, mm. his bones are in the Sydney Museum mm. and his heart is in the National Museum in Canberra. Okay, okay. So he's been mm. spread far and wide, you know, mm. for, to sort of share him around the population, if you like. But um, It was truly the spirit of the horse that yes. was admired because it won so many Melbourne Cups. That's uh, The Melbourne Cup is an annual event that takes place yes. uh, in November in Melbourne, of course. Um, but this particular horse, despite the... Uh, the added handicap that mm. was given to the horse each year. I know in its last mm. run, it had the equivalent weight of... Um, it supposedly had the equivalent weight of a Volkswagen on its back, but it was able to run uh, the mile, I think it's roughly a mile, um, the uh, the distance for the Melbourne Cup, and yet it still won. Mm. And mm. Uh, it was even a couple of attempts on its life, mm. like in mm. 1930s gangster style, but um, ended up going to America... Mm. and uh, participated in a few more races but ended up dying of some mysterious mysterious illness. But um, Well, they, they think that he mm. was poisoned, don't poisoned, they? Yeah. But uh, we don't know. So, um, well, in terms of um, political icons, um, and I don't think there's very many, to be honest, because I suppose it's in the nature of politicians that unless they've been majorly charismatic... Um, politicians come and go. Basically, mm. people forget about them much more easily. But I'd say you'd have to say Robert Menzies being um, the longest-serving prime, prime minister. minister. I mm. think it was about 18 or 20 years, wasn't it? Yeah. All up. Mm. And then Gough, who followed him, Gough Whitlam. And uh, not only... Now, I mean, he's definitely, and still alive, but he is a larger-than-life figure, and he always was, not only physically, mm. he's an extremely tall man, but he was so witty. Mm. Just his wit, he was so sharp. And um, his people often will remember Whitlam more for the way he was dismissed by the Governor-General. But for me, it was when he first um, became the Prime Minister in 1972. Mm -hmm. 1972. Um, he made... He and the Labor government made such radical changes to Australian society and I think the most memorable one was they immediately stopped conscription and that was an extremely popular move. Because we had uh, conscription for the Vietnam mm, War mm, at the time. Mm, mm. Mm. And um, I think that um, was a hearty relief to many 19-year-old boys and their parents. Mm. Just getting back to what you mentioned before, the fact that um, his government was dismissed 
by, uh, by the Governor-General. Mm. The Governor-General, um, Australia is first of all a Commonwealth country, so we still have our ties to, um, to the British monarchy. And the Governor-General is the Queen's representative in Australia who does have the authority to, uh, to dismiss the government, as he did back in... 75. But it's the only time it ever happened. Yeah, because typically it's just a figurehead role. Yes. Uh, the Governor General and uh, you know the hosting of foreign dignitaries, um, you know, uh, participating in uh, particular government-related functions. Yes. But uh, do you know why the government was dismissed? Well, it was because um, the Senate had blocked supply and basically blocked supply to the House of Representatives. So basically um, a, a country can't run without money. Um, and it was pretty sort of, I don't know, bloody-minded of the Senate to block supply, but they did. And the Governor-General felt he had no choice but to sack, to dismiss the government, mm. and make Malcolm Fraser and the Liberal Party the government. Mm. Um, and it caused an enormous amount of... Um, demonstrations and very well, ill feelings too soft a word I think um, amongst the younger generation especially at the time Okay we've reached the end of today's podcast uh, if you'd like to get access to the transcripts just go to the English section of uh, the World Languages podcasting sites and here's the web address one more time it's www worldlanguagespodcasting.com and the transcript will be there for the downloading. So thanks very much for listening to both of us today and uh, hopefully you'll hear us next time. Bye-bye.